Good morning. I guess first things first. My microphone's working. Matt, is it okay back there? Okay. If you were here a few weeks ago, um, somebody in the room forgot to turn their microphone on. Um, so uh, I don't know if you know uh, Matt Patman, but he's sitting right back there. Stand up, Matt. Come on. Matt is our, our technical arts manager, and he does so much around. Him and his team do so much around here to make things happen the way they should. And then when things don't, it's usually our fault up here. Uh, but thank you, Matt, for what you do. Several weeks ago, we started this derailed series. And um, it, it's kind of a unique series in that um, we've, we were dealing with these issues, these struggles that are hidden struggles. I don't know if you've noticed that about each of the topics, but these are things that we hide really well. And when we hide them and we don't deal with them or we deal with them in ways that aren't biblical, then we get off track. And that's kind of been the whole theme of all of this. We started with insecurity and we learned that, that we should see ourselves as God sees us and have that image of ourselves through His eyes. Now that makes a difference in how we feel about ourselves. And then we, we talked about anxiety and how we all deal with anxiety at times, but then we need to see God for who He is and what He can do, that He is for us and with us and all-powerful in what we struggle with on the inside. And then last week we learned about anger and how to follow Jesus' example with anger, and that yes, Jesus was angry at times. There was there were times of injustice for others and injustice for uh, against Jesus, and he was angry. And yet, our challenge uh, last week was to model our anger, angry feelings after Christ. And at the beginning of the series, Rick held up this railroad spike, and he told a story about and showed a a, a picture of a, a train that was derailed. Uh, it was a pretty ugly incident and potentially uh, very, very dangerous. And after it was all said and done, uh, come to find out that because a few of these spikes had failed, that was why the train derailed. And in some ways, such a simple little thing can cause destruction and so what we wanted to do was in some ways give you a spike kind of each week to, to keep you on track, to keep us all on track in our faith, that we might be more solid in all of that. When we struggle, many times we say after the fact, boy, I, I wish I would have seen that coming. I wish I would have been prepared for that as I look back. And so our goal in what we've been doing over these last few weeks is to give you that preparation when we get off track, we all handle it differently, depending on where we are and how long we've been following Christ. Sometimes uh, we get off track and it's just, uh, it just weakens our faith a bit and we keep on going. And sometimes we get off track and, and we, we, we hide behind the smile, but on the inside we begin to slowly start dying and no one knows. Sometimes we get off track and we begin to back off from things. And so we see that often in church life. We see folks who are, who are getting off track and they begin to stop showing up for worship. They begin to stop showing up for Bible study. They just kind of disappear. And sometimes we get off track 
and we start running as fast as we can away from God. Like the prodigal son, we want to go in the direction that we want to go, and we struggle. And today I want to finish this series with this topic of doubt. A while back, I I was uh, several years ago actually, I was at a, a, a pastor's conference. It was a small gathering of pastors and we were in this, uh, this sanctuary, this formal church sanctuary. It's kind of a formal event, and, and uh, it was one of those where you dressed up in a suit and a tie, and ugh, I just don't like to think about that these days, but um, a suit and a tie, and so we were all sitting in there, and I was actually up near the front of the row and um, ready to, to learn, and the, the pastor who was leading, he got up and he said, I want to begin our time together in some, uh, just a time of silence and then prayer. So if you would all you know, close your eyes, bow your heads, and we're going to spend this time together. And, and so that's what I did. I kind of bent over. I had my iPad with me, and when I did, my elbow hit the button. And if you, if you uh, know, have an iPad or a phone, you know that sometimes that kicks Siri into gear. And in the silence of the moment, and it was, it was very silent, and my phone was unfortunately turned up very loud, Siri says, I'm sorry, but I do not understand. (laughs) And that is how the prayer began that day. (laughs) But are there things about our Christian faith that we don't understand that cause us to struggle? Or, Or a better way to say it is, do you have doubts sometimes? Doubts, doubt, it can be debilitating in our lives if we don't deal with it. But it doesn't have to be. Barna Research shows that that one of the six reasons that young people are leaving the church today is because it's unfriendly to those who doubt. See, atheists are supposed to doubt, right? Or agnostic, supposed to doubt. But Christians? That just seems odd. One person who was a church attender uh, wrote it, and he put it this way. He says, there's... There seem like so many people at church who have a strong faith that I don't feel like I belong. I would like to have a strong faith, but I I don't seem to. It seems as though I've got more questions than answers. Sometimes I doubt whether I'm even a Christian. Ever feel that way? We've fallen into the trap of thinking that doubt is the enemy of belief, but that doesn't have to be the case. But in our Christian walk, as followers of Christ, we just don't talk about our doubts. It's not something that we do. We don't walk into the building. I I didn't hear anyone say this morning as they walked into the building and they were greeted, how are you today? And someone say, I'm doing well, how are you? And someone else say, well, I'm kind of doubting the resurrection this morning. We would look down on that person. And when a doubt enters our mind and our lives, we sort of just have a freak-out moment. Or maybe it lasts longer than a moment. That something is wrong with us, that we're weak. And this is the worst part of it, is that when we have doubts, we feel guilty about them. We distance ourselves from God, and that's exactly where Satan wants us to, uh, to be and to go in that direction, away from God. We, when we doubt... Sometimes it causes us to run. 
I want to make a statement, though, that I think is, is boldly true. It's maybe controversial slightly, but I, I want to say that if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've not doubted in your faith, that's trouble. John Ortberg, in his book, Faith and Doubt, wrote it this way. He said, when people of faith are not willing to sit quietly and let doubt make its case, then bad things can happen. What is doubt? What do I mean? It's very simple. Doubt is this, something less than total acceptance and something more than total denial. Something right there in the middle somewhere. And if we're honest, all of us have been there with different situations and understandings about the Christian faith, Christianity, and Jesus. How does it happen? How do these doubts show up in our lives? With thoughts or or statements that we might say like this, sometimes I wonder if there really is a God. Sometimes I wonder if God is really good. That's been in a lot of people's hearts and minds recently. Sometimes I wonder if God really cares about me. Sometimes I wonder if miracles really happen. Sometimes I wonder if everything I've learned in church just all made up. Sometimes I wonder if there's really any point to life. Sometimes I wonder if, if my religion is actually the right one. Sometimes I wonder if the Bible is true. Is Jesus really God? Do I go to heaven, really, when I die? Why should I trust the Bible? Am I a Christian just because I was raised that way? Or is that something that I've decided on my own? What if all this has just been made up? And if I'm a Christian, then why do I still sin all the time? I think there's many of those that have passed through most of our minds at times. And sometimes, depending on what's going on in our life in the moment, they stick. And they start leading us in the area of getting off track. And all it takes is a question from someone that we can't answer. And we begin to back up a bit. I want us to take a look at a couple of passages today. Uh, One, I want to begin in Mark chapter 9. So I I know we're going to have it on the screen, but I encourage you if you have a Bible with you that you turn to Mark chapter 9, 14 through 24. Mark 9, starting at verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him him violently to the ground and then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground. 
writhing and, and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, well, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What an odd statement. He's saying, I do believe, but I doubt. Help me in my doubt. We see it right here in Scripture. And I, it's, it's not an accident that's here. That there's instances of doubt that we see in Scripture because Jesus wants us to see this so that we can relate to our own lives that there are times where we believe. Yes, we believe, but help us in the parts that we are still trusting you for. So what do we need to know about this doubt that I've been talking about? If you're taking notes, <clears throat> the first thing is this. What do we need to know? That God is, isn't disappointed with our doubt. Jesus, he wasn't, in, in, uh, he wasn't disappointed in this, man, in this man's doubt. He could have easily said, hey, you know what? You don't, you don't believe in me 100%? Forget it. I'm just going to let your son be that way. <clears throat> he acted. Even in the, in, the, in the doubt in this man's mind, he acted. We see this again in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 20, picking up verse 24. Doubt. <clears throat> this one you may be more familiar with. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them, he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubting Thomas, we know him as. And Jesus knew that he doubted. He was a follower of Christ and he was one who doubted, completely doubted. He said, Unless I see this, it's over for me. Wouldn't believe until he saw the proof. And God chose to put doubters in the Bible. And I don't believe he, he, he put doubters in the Bible to belittle them and to make fun of them. And I think he put them there so that we could relate in our lives. That there are times that we struggle a bit. And then one more. One more. John, or Luke uh, chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bible. We're going to pick up an 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? 
And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here's John the Baptist, the very man who got to baptize Jesus, who saw Jesus coming into the water and said, this is the one, this is the Savior. I'm not worthy to baptize you. At that point in time, he was the one who knew it, the very one. He's the one who began to get the word out. He's the one that prepared the way for Jesus, and now he's doubting. You know, Jesus could have told his disciples, you know what, go back to John and tell him he's a wimp. (laughs) Go tell him that his faith makes me sick, that uh, he heard God's voice, but he should be ashamed of himself the way he's acting now. But that's not how Jesus responded. In Matthew 11, it's, in Matthew 11, 11, it says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. The doubter. Isn't it amazing how Jesus recognizes the doubts that we go through at times and he affirms the fact that that's part of our, of our growth. Jesus affirms John during his doubt. The second thing I think we need to know about doubt is that doubt won't disappear on its own. Doubt won't disappear on its own. The disciples could not just tell Thomas about Jesus. Something had to be done. And John had to be reminded and affirmed. Years ago when I was teaching, uh, I was teaching elementary school in rural West Virginia, every few months there was this routine we did in this little school I taught in, and they would line all of my students up, <clears throat> and like clockwork, they would go through the line and they would do the one thing that would happen often, it, they would check for lice. <laughs> Why? Because it doesn't go away on its own. Now I see y'all scratching your head out there. I have no worries. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> doesn't bother me a bit to talk about lice. But it's true, there are things in life that will not go away until we deal with them. And sometimes what we do is we just push it back. We think, you know what, I don't know what I believe, I'm just going to push that back. And then something else comes along, we push it back. And at at, at some point, it gets to the point where it stalls our growth, and it stops us, it derails us, and we are off the path that we're supposed to be on. And that's why we see people disappear from churches. And from Bible studies, they disappear from following Jesus. The third thing I know about doubt is that dealing with doubt grows our faith. Doubting Thomas as we know him. How did this affect him? He touched Jesus. He touched the the scars and the wounds. And he believed. And he said, my Lord and my God. It changed him. There was some growth that happened. There was some faith that was, that was built. The scripture tells us we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Free from doubts. Free from not knowing. 
How many of you have heard of, of Billy Graham? How many of you? Lots, lots. How many of you have heard of Charles Templeton? Anybody? A few? We, a lot of us know Billy Graham. He, um, he's preached the gospel to as many as 215 million people in over 185 countries with an estimated 3.2 million people making decisions. Well, Billy Graham and, and Charles Templeton were friends. They were colleagues. They both were on the preaching circuit and they were having revivals, both of them. And at one point in time, uh, Billy Graham's friend, Charles Templeton, he, he got together with Billy Graham and he began to struggle with some doubts. And they talked about it. It had to do with the Bible and the truth. And it came to the point where Billy Graham separated from that conversation. And if you've ever read his story, you know that there was a moment in time that was just monumental in Billy Graham's life because he, he was dealing with this, this doubt and it was significant at that time for him. And he dealt with it. He began to research and, and dig and step out in faith. And then he began to pursue God's plan for his life. And all of this happened way before the 250 million people and, and all the decisions and Charles Templeton would go on to declare himself an agnostic, letting his doubts linger in his heart, in his mind. God isn't disappointed with our doubt, and our doubts, they don't disappear on, on their own. But if we deal with them, it helps us to grow in our faith. So if we deal our, with, with our doubts, how, how is that done? What process do we go through? Well, the first thing is this, and this is really the, the critical part of it all, I believe, is that in dealing with doubts, the first step is to realize that you are not alone. Because that's the thing that we all believe when a doubt crosses our mind, when we struggle with something, whether we wonder if it's true or not, we think we're the only one. We're the only one that's thinking that way. We begin to think ourselves as weak, but we are in good company. Thomas, John the Baptist, Peter, Moses, Gideon. We are all in good company. Because as we flip through the pages of the Bible, we see doubters who trusted Christ and believed in God and stepped out in faith and searched and found answers. You are not alone. The second thing is this. It's to reach out to God and others with your doubt. And what I mean is to begin to pray to God and be honest with Him. Say, God, I, I don't know what I believe about this. I don't understand this question. I don't know what the answer is. When a, tra when a train derails, it doesn't just jump back on the track itself. It had, there's a process in getting it back on the track and there's people that have to be involved. And it's the same way with our doubts. We have to open ourselves up for help. And so we, first we talk to God about it and then we talk to others. No matter what's going on in our life. I remember several years ago, it was actually right after my wife and I were married, one of my best friends who was a follower of Christ, he called me up one day and he told me, he said, Chris, <clears throat> I have something really important to tell you. It's been bugging me for a long time. And he said, I think what you believe about the Bible is wrong. And so he, go, he went into this whole thing, started having me flip, flip some 
passages here and there in the Bible. And honestly, when I got off the phone, I was struggling. And some of it had to do with the truth of the Bible. And so, I have to admit, there were a few days that I was really bothered by that. And wondering if I had just followed along with something that wasn't true. And so I began to research. And I began to, to find answers. And at that time, you couldn't go online and find answers. You couldn't Google. And so I was going to libraries, and I was finding history books and books about where we got the Bible, where it came from, and how the books of the Bible were chosen, all that. It was before seminary days for me. So it was a learning process. And I got to the point where the doubt was, was answered. I, I had an answer for some of those questions. I had a, 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 a trunk full of books. I had to go back to different libraries and turn them all back in. But my, my faith grew at that point in my life. The third thing in, in dealing with our doubt that we need to know is to resolve to get to the root of our doubt. The root of our doubt can be a question. It can be something emotional. It can be something physical. It can be something intellectual. It can, it can approach us in a lot of different ways. What's the one thing that keeps us from moving forward for that next step? Because a lot of us in this room, there is something right there in front of you and, and you've kind of stopped and stalled and you're still here. But that step that you need to take, that next step, doesn't happen because there's something that's not totally believable right there in front of you. And resolving to get to the root of the doubt is is, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it's an uncomfortable thing to do. Sometimes it's it's embarrassing to do. Can you imagine Thomas actually walking over to Jesus with a whole room full of people and putting his fingers out, saying, I, got I just, I just got to do this, you know? I mean, how kind of humiliating in a way, embarrassing. Because all, everyone behind him was saying, we believe, what's up? And he's saying, well, I've got I've to do this weird thing here. I've got to touch and put my finger, I just, you know? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for us because sometimes someone might say, hey, you, you've been a Christian for how long and, and you're asking this question? Sometimes it can be embarrassing, and it's okay. The author, Brene Brown, says this. She says, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but not both because they are opposites. And to to resolve to get to the root of the doubt in our lives takes courage. And sometimes it can be a fearful thing to do. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of the possibility of finding out that maybe you were wrong in what you believed. And sometimes fear holds us hostage. When we should be digging in to find answers, we just stay stuck right there. Because we're afraid to take that next step. Several years ago, ABC News reported on this very unusual work of modern art. It was a chair... And affixed to the chair was a shotgun. And it was to be viewed by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the gun barrel. And the gun was loaded and set on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next hundred years. Piece of art. But the amazing thing was that people waited in line to take turns sitting in front of that shotgun. 
thinking, well, it won't be my time, probably not. It's a risky thing to do, don't you think? If we can take a risk like that for no reason, but maybe stupidity, <laughs> we can surely step out and find answers to our questions, even if it's a risky thing for us to do. One of the times in my life where I came face to face with a serious doubt in my life that I didn't even realize was there, it was a few years ago when my grand, one of my grandmothers was sick, and she had been sick for a while, and... Um, I got word that she had passed away. And this side of my family was not the religious side of my family at all. They were not interested in following Christ. Some of them were, were even antagonistic against uh, Jesus, toward Jesus, uh, against my faith. And I had become a Christian as a teenager, and it was very difficult sometimes to be around this side of my family. My grandfather had passed away a few years before that, and I found out that when my grandfather was really sick that uh, a preacher had come into the hospital and talked to my grandmother and my grandfather and led them to be followers of Christ. And so when my grandmother passed away, uh, the family called and asked if I would perform the ceremony, the funeral. And it was, it was kind of an... Um, it was something I wanted to do, but it was also something that was risky and, and awkward and uncomfortable because that side of my family had been so antagonistic toward everything that I believed. My grandmother, although she was a, she was a sweet, sweet person, she didn't miss a chance to, to laugh at someone else's expense. You ever been around people like that? Just, you know, you, you do something stupid, you make a mistake, and you hear about it over and over and over and every time you see them. And so her and a lot of my family on that side would be that way. And so as I was thinking about uh, this funeral, I, I began to think, you know, I have this one chance. I have this one chance to share the gospel clearly and simply to my family. And I wanted to do that. Because it had been hard to have any kind of conversation with them in the past. And so I began to, to prepare. And I, man, I prepared so well. And I had it exactly down what I wanted to say. I'd been thinking through different options, and <clears throat> there was there was some uh, different kind of marks along the way in, in what I was going to say that connected to the history of my family. And so we had to drive into town, and we, we got there. We went to the, the visitation <clears throat> the night before. And I have to say that we got into it, walked into that room to a family that I was kind of detached with. It was very cold. Not physically cold, it was just a very cold environment standing around and not really anyone talking to you much. And um, felt very uncomfortable. The next day at the funeral, they actually had the funeral there at the funeral home in the chapel, which wouldn't have been my choice because it was a cold tile floor and pews, church pews, and here was a family who didn't go to church who were going to feel very uncomfortable in this room. <clears throat> and that was going to kind of set the mood for, for what I was going to say. And so the funeral began, and I, I, I preached my heart out that day. I knew this was the one chance that God was going to give me to share the truth. I wanted to see lives changed. I wanted to see people take a step closer to Jesus. And there, there was this one... <clears throat> 
one, one thing that I had decided to talk about, and it was um, this picture that I remember seeing on my grandmother's wall when I was growing up. And I thought, you know, most everybody in the family saw this picture. And so I know that they saw it. Let me talk about that and connect it. And it was this, it was this picture of, of Jesus. But, it, but for those of you that are a little bit older in here, like myself, you'll understand this. It was one of those velvet okay, pictures of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> those of you who are laughing, then we all know what, how old you are about, right? <laughs> so um, so I, you know, I said, you know that picture that was on the wall of Jesus? And I began to bounce off that and talk about that he was a person. And he was a man. He came and he died for us. And I fin- finished out the, the funeral. And <clears throat> at the end of the funeral, we walked out the casket out. And we were going to the graveside. And I slipped into the car. My family was in the car waiting for me. And I sat down on the driver's side. My wife was driving. And I sat down. And, and we're getting ready to go uh, to the graveside to finish there. And she... My wife puts her hand on my, on my knee and she said, honey, she said, you did a wonderful job. She said, you only made one mistake. <laughs> now, as a pastor, that's not something you want to hear. And she said, you know, um, and when she said that, I was already kind of cringing down to my seat a bit because there was so much pressure to just to get it right. And she said, you know, when you were talking about that picture of Jesus, that that velvet picture of Jesus on the wall. She said, you didn't say that velvet picture of Jesus. You said that velvet picture of Elvis. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I was about in the floor at that point in the car. Now, I, just to give me some credit, I didn't say Elvis was going to take us to heaven or anything like that. Uh, so I sat there thinking, what? I just, I just messed this all up. And you know, when, when it's family, oh, it's different, isn't it? It's hard to talk to family. And when you have those moments, man, they're so important. And I began to, to have these thoughts. God, could you not fix my words? Do you not have the power to correct something that's going to come out wrong? <clears throat> God, did you not see that coming? God, did, could you not have given me a different illustration on that day? God, do you really interact with us as believers? God, do you really, do you really want these people to connect with you? God, are you really in control? So we drove to the, the graveside service, and um, I just didn't see anything coming out of the day at that point, but maybe some laughter. And I finished there that day, and as I stood before the people, I opened my mouth, and I didn't know what I was going to say. I had some notes, but... I said to the people, first thing that came out of my mouth, as I said, you know, one day when I, when I die and I'm in heaven, I, I'm going to see my grandmother, and she's probably going to walk up to me, and she's going to say, Chris, did you really say Elvis at my funeral? <laughs> she's going to start making fun and laughing. And when I said that, something in the room changed. <clears throat> 
I could could not describe it, really. But I felt it. And all of a sudden, the people out in front of me had these smiles on their faces and this, this warmth toward what I was saying as I began to finish out and talk more about Jesus a bit. We finished out that day. And I could see that they saw something that day that they needed to see. They they needed to see that Christianity is, is not about being a perfect person. It's about following a perfect person. Huge difference for them. And so as they laughed a bit afterward and joked, we began to have some spiritual conversations. Things that would have never happened. God was in control. He reminded me that there was some doubt deep down inside about that. God loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. He wants us to change. He has a plan for our lives. As we deal with our doubts, He strengthens our faith. And so I ask you as we close out our time this morning, what doubt is derailing you? What thing stands in the way that you might need to put your finger in, your hand in, because God wants you to say to Him, my Lord and my God, I believe in you. Through my doubts, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us the way we are. As imperfect as we are, you love us. Father, I thank you for the ways that you take your word and you show us the very things that we need. The very things that we need to see. And you challenge us on the very days when we need challenge. You are in control. And for some in this room, Lord, I know that doubt has kept them a space back from you. As you say to all of us, step closer. It's okay. It's okay, your struggles. It's okay, your questions. Let me help you find answers. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And you're not disappointing me with your doubt. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. We love the fact that you are in control. And that you just don't spin this world into... let it spin and just leave us alone that you interact with us daily and you have met us here in this place today. We worship you for it.
in Jesus' name. Amen.